Today we begin a new series entitled Refocus, and we're going to be looking at the, at the little small letter of Colossians. Um, a couple of weeks ago, actually it was probably about a month ago now, um, I went to an eye doctor because I noticed uh, that I couldn't see as clearly as I used to. And um, I have, if those of us who wear glasses, you know, you usually have one dominant eye and one kind of a weak eye. Um, and my right eye is my weak eye, but it seems like over the past year, uh, year and a half, uh, I've been able to see less and less. And when I read, it's just blurry. And, um, and I'm 37. I don't need bifocals. Thank you very much. Um, so I'm trying to think, what is going on? And, you know, I have a little tendency sometimes to worry a little bit and thinking, okay, maybe I'm going blind, you know. And I, I'm, I love reading so much. And when I'm sitting here and I'm reading text, um, on this side it's just like in the middle it's extremely blurry. It's like somebody has taken Vaseline on a lens and just wiped all over it, or smeared oil all over it. And um, I, I, I'm just worried, you know, I'm starting to think. So I ended up going uh, to uh, my eye doctor, uh, Gary Radish, and he had this, uh, did all these stuff to my eyes and performed, mapped them all out and everything. And he says, you have a floater. Now, how many of y'all know what floaters are? All right. I know some of y'all think of floaters as what you do in the pool, you know, after you've eaten too much. All right. A floater um, is like a, there's like fluid in your eye, and sometimes you see these floaters. Mine are starting to become like darker, and in this eye, I got this floater. They usually move, but this one doesn't move. It's right smack dab in the middle of my eye. So when I'm reading, when I look up, it looks clear. When I look down, it's all smudgy, and it's blurry. It's out of focus. And I got new glasses, and I got a new prescription, but there's really nothing they can do for that. It's kind of a bummer. So I'm having to live trying to read out of focus, and it's just so irritating. Um, the reason why Paul wrote this little letter to the Colossians, a little small church, a church he had never been to. In fact, it's the smallest town he ever, and church that he ever wrote to, a little podunk town. Um, he writes the letter uh, because they started seeing things out of focus. Uh, they started having blurry ideas and sloppy thinking. And um, they started getting the picture of Jesus just a little skewed. And the way they viewed God was just a little blurry. And the whole point of the book of Colossians, the big idea, the reason why Paul wrote the book of the Colossians, uh, is this. Is, is when your beliefs are a little off, then your life and actions will become way off. In fact, let's say this together if we could. When your beliefs are a little off, your life and actions will be way off. That's the worst I've ever heard y'all do, by the way. Let's say that one more time. Ready? When your beliefs are a little off, your life and actions will be way off. You see, it all starts with right beliefs. So many times we, we get on to people because they live wrongly, but the reason why they live wrongly is because many of them have wrong beliefs. And if you can change the beliefs, then you can change the direction of a way a person walks or what he does. In fact, we're going to be looking at two beliefs today that many of you will probably say, yeah, I believe that. In fact, a lot of churches, the two lies that we're going to be looking at today, these out-of-focus truths, that they're not, they don't look really quite wrong when I say them, but when we compare them to Scripture, they are wrong. They're a little fuzzy. They're a little skewed. 
sloppy thinking, sloppy theology. Um, we're going to look at how most of us today have grown up in church. If you've grown up in church or maybe you've been out of church. In fact, you may be a, Christian, you may be a non-Christian. They've never been to church. And this may be the reason why you have never, ever taken that next step in giving your heart to Jesus Christ because you believed in one of these lies. You believe that, you know what, you can't do it on your own. You know yourself, you know your past, you know your bad habits, you know all of this stuff, and you don't think that you can ever become a Christian because you're never, ever going to be that good. You're never, ever going to be that consistent in what you do and how you do it. And this is a massive lie, these two lies, that the church has created. And we're going to be looking at them today. In fact, many of you, you've bought in the lie. Let me go ahead and just unpack it a little bit. That you believe by going to a retreat, uh, if you're youth going to camp, um, if uh, uh, going to a promise keepers, that after coming back, that will give you enough determination to make you consistent in your Christian walk. That you believe that really what you lack is that magic bullet, that magic potion, that if you go to the right camp, if you go to the right church, if you go to the right you know, whatever, then your Christian walk will be finally be consistent. And I'm just going to go ahead and say that that is a lie. It's fuzzy thinking. It's blurry because there is no magic bullet. You can't go to the right conference or go to the right, hear the right speaker, even go to the right church. Some of you have church hopped for many times, many years, because you think, okay, this next church, this church is going to make me be consistent in my Christian walk. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it ain't. It's not going to make you consistent because none of that stuff will make you try harder. It's not going to make you more consistent. In fact, many churches have invented a doctrine called rededication. Some of you may have even heard of it. That if you come, I, okay, God, here I am. I'm going to try harder. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to finally get past this sin, and I'm going to get past, I, I, I come and I rededicate myself. That's kind of amazing because I never find rededication in the Bible. And again, you may have never been to church before, and you're like, well, rededicate who? That's okay. I understand that. But you may not call it that, but you say, I'm going to try harder this time. I'm going to do it this time. I am going to stop. I'm going to stop drinking this time. I'm not going to get drunk anymore. I'm not going to let alcohol control me. I'm not going to get drunk. But it doesn't stop there. You, you it may be, you know what, I, I'm going to stop smoking. Or I'm going to stop chewing. I'm not going to let it control me anymore. But it never does stop there. Uh, another, I, I'm going to stop gorging myself with food and purging myself. I'm going to stop doing that. But it doesn't stop there. For others, you may be, you know, I'm not going to sleep with her or him again. I'm not going to do the things because I, I, I know I shouldn't, and I'm going to stop. But it doesn't stop there. For some of you, you know, I'm going to, I, I'm going to stop reading those books that I'm reading. I'm going to stop going to those websites. I'm going to, I'm going to make a change. I'm going to do it. But it doesn't stop there we we pray the prayer lord you know i i i'm i'm coming back and i'm rededicating i'm i'm coming with a fresh start and i am coming and i'm going to do this finally and you've bought into this this lie and you've become a different person on sunday and a different person monday through saturday 
you have this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality. Because you're one thing to everybody here on Sunday morning or, or to your job or to your spouse. But when you're by yourself, you're an entirely different person. Because you've bought into the lie that you can do it. You can do it. That you can make it happen. That you can turn this ship. The thing about this, you can't do it. You can't get freedom from your bad habits. You can't get freedom from your bad sins and bad choices made in bad relationships. You cannot do it. And if I would just stand up here to say that you can do it, I would be telling you a lie. Because the Bible never says you can do it. He doesn't say you can help yourself. He doesn't help those who help themselves. The Bible never says that. He helps those who cannot help themselves. Have any of y'all ever rededicated your rededication? You know what I'm talking about? You walk down front, and, okay, Lord, I know I told you, I, I, you know, this, last time was the last time, but this time I really mean it. And God's going, you seem really sincere, but I think I'm going to see you back, I'm pretty sure. Because you cannot do it. You know the reason why? It's because the Christian life is not really difficult. The Christian life is not even really hard. The Christian life is impossible. And it, you cannot be perfect. You cannot be holy. You can't do it. God is looking at you, and he, and, he, and he sees the qualifications he's put out there, and he looks at you, and he says, you know what, I know you. I know you so well. I know your habits. I know the, that this is so perfect. I know you. This is not going to work for you. But here's the cool thing. God's not asking you to do it. Oh, nobody can do this. Nobody can be consistent. Nobody can have enough determination or enough trying to make it happen. God said, I'm not asking you to do it. It's, it's not going to work for you, but it has worked once. One person has been able to do this. One person has been able to pull this off, the thing called the Christian life, and he did it so well they named it after him. Christian, little Christ. The answer to that lie, the truth is that you cannot do it by yourself. You can't do it. The good thing that, about Christ that he lived a perfect Christian life is that he is still living a perfect Christian life. And the great thing about the truth that we're going to be uncovering today in the book of Colossians is that God is saying, Jesus lived the perfect Christian life, and I'm going to put the one who can live the Christian life, Jesus, inside the one who can't live the Christian life, so that the one who cannot live the Christian life can live the Christian life through the one who did live the Christian life so that you can live the Christian life perfectly. Because it's Christ living inside of you, and it's not you. It's not you. Paul wrote it this way, Colossians chapter 1. The little letter to Colossians, he writes this in Colossians 1, 25 and 26. Paul says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present you the word of God in its fullness. That's a key word there, in its fullness. Up to that point, they didn't have the full word of God. They only had the first 39 books. We called it what? Very good, very good. The Old Testament and the Old Covenant. They didn't have the full 
picture yet because Jesus hadn't come. But he says this, I'm going to present to you the word of God in its what? Fullness. Now, here's, here's the fullness part. The mystery. Everybody say the word mystery. What's a mystery? I don't know. It's a mystery, right? Uh, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and ages and generations, but now is being known, being made known to the saints. So let's talk about this. The Old Testament people didn't know this. Daniel didn't know this. David didn't know this. Moses didn't know this. Joseph didn't know this. Abraham didn't know this. Uh, Solomon didn't know this in his wisdom. Um, Malachi, uh, all these people did not know this, but you will know this. It says it's now being known, made known to the saints. Now let's talk about that. Who are saints? Oh, y'all are y'all gonna make me preach. I know. I'm gonna... See, most people think saints are the stone people on top of churches. That a saint is somebody who lived such a great life that we memorialize them. That couldn't be farther from the truth. Let's look at who saints are. Colossians chapter 1, verse 2, Paul is saying, hey, y'all, it's me. All right, verse 1, Paul. And it says in verse 2, it says who he's writing to. To the what? To the saints who are in Christ at Colossae. How do you become a saint? You've got to be in Christ. Look at that. To the saints who are, say that next two words, in Christ at Colossae. All right? Anybody in Christ who's been made new and made holy, who has been forgiven, they are saints. If that's you, if you have a relationship with God, if your sins have been forgiven, then you're a saint. In fact, turn to the next person next to you and say, you're a saint. Some of y'all laughing. I ain't no saint. All right? But let me tell you, if you have forgiveness of God in Christ, you are a saint. A saint is someone who's been made holy by the power of God. How are you being made holy? How are you made holy? How are you made a saint? By being in Christ. Paul continues, talking about this mystery, this mystery that's being revealed to the saints. Colossians 1.27 says this, To them, talking about the saints, who's a saint? You're right. All right. We, to the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, the glorious riches of this mystery. Everybody say the word mystery again. Second time he's repeated it. Fullness and then twice mystery. So he's talking about this mystery. He's saying up to this point, Paul is saying, you know what, no one has known this yet. This is secret. All right? Nobody knows this yet, but I'm getting ready to tell it to you. It's a mystery. Let me tell you what the mystery is. Y'all ready to hear the mystery? Kind of got to lean in, though, because it's a secret. All right? This is the mystery, and look at this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in, what is the mystery? It is Christ in you. God was so convinced of our inability to live the Christian life that he gave us the mystery of mysteries. He gave us Jesus Christ. He puts Jesus in us. So you're thinking, well, Jesus is a person. How can Jesus be in us? All right? He puts God in us. He puts Christ in us. So that when, because again, some of you who have not, don't have that relationship with God, you're thinking, I can't do it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you, you can't. You can't do it. Here's the kicker. I can't do it. 
He says, I know you can't do it, Chris. You can't. He's not saying, you can do it. All right? Yeah, I know that's what you're thinking, all right? He's, that's not what God's saying. He's saying, you can't do it. But I'm going to put Christ in you. And he has already done it. He has done it. It's the mystery of mysteries. We're not talking about accepting Jesus Christ and so that you can go to some place where you die. We're talking about a power source that will allow you to live victoriously. You've heard this question so many times. If you were to die tonight, do you know that you would go to heaven? That's a great question. I don't know why it's always tonight. Why is it not today, but it's always tonight. If you were to die tonight, where would you go? That's a great question. You need to have an answer for that question. Jesus Christ is how you know that you know that you're going to. That's a great question. But I want to ask another question because I believe, God willing, most of us are not going to die tonight. We're going to wake up again on Monday morning. Here's another question. That if you don't die tonight and you wake up tomorrow morning, do you have a power source living inside of you that you can live this life to the fullest, that you can live it to the extreme. See, that's even a question that's really more applicable to us because none of us are planning on dying. Of course, who plans on dying anyway, right? Um, God is saying the first lie is you can do it because he says, no, you can't do it. If you think you can stop being drunk, you're going under. If you think you can stand the tide against sexual temptation, you're going under. You cannot do it. But Christ has already done it. If you think you're going to rededicate, I'm coming, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to change myself. God's saying, no, you can't do it. You cannot do it. God is saying you need to wake up because if there's any eye in your rededication, it's never going to happen. If there's, I'm going to do it this time, God's saying, no, no. Because it's not about you. Paul said it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, to another letter to Galatians. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And we, we say, God, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to promise you, I'm going to do it harder, I'm going to be consistent, I'm going to follow through this time, I'm going to do it. God's saying, no, it has to be Christ in you. It has to be Christ in you. You know, I like that word in. If you like words like I words like I like words, you've got to like that word in. Because most of us when we read that, it's Christ and you. It's Christ and you. That it's Jesus Christ and me, the hope of glory. That's not what it says. But so many of us live our lives like that. It's Christ and me, me and Christ, we're buddies. Jesus is my homeboy. All right, and we're going to do this. We're going to we're going to make this happen. It's Christ and me, and Jesus is looking at you, going, you know, I think I can work with him, but it's not Christ and you. It's not Jesus and something else. In fact, that's the definition of a cult. It's Jesus and something else. Yet so many of us, we say, it's Jesus and me, me and Jesus, all right? We're going to do it. And Jesus is going, no, I'm going to do it. I've already done it. 
I've already done it. Man, God knows that you can't, but he does know that he can. The second lie some of you have believed really kind of goes along with the first lie because most of this stems that we really don't know who we are. Most of you have believed a lie, and here's the lie. And by the way, when I say this, some of you are going to walk, probably get up and walk out. Oh, I think he's a heretic. All right, let me tell you the lie. Because you've heard it. It is. I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace. You believe the lie that you're just a sinner. Saved by grace. Some, some of you have sang this song, haven't you? Right, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a, a, a beggar trying to show another beggar where to find bread. Some of you have grown up in church. You've heard that lingo. Some of you are going, what are you talking about? All right, all right. Emphasis on the word just. I'm just a sinner. I'm just a sinner. I, I, that's all I am. I mean, the identity point being sinner. And stay with me. That's not who you are. You're not just a sinner. I mean, if our identity point is just being a sinner, then why don't we wake up in the morning and just haul off and do a big one, right? I mean, if that's who we are, right, let's just go out and kick the cat and, and shoot the dog and, and, you know, let out a four-letter word and let that be that, right? Because we're just a sinner. That's not what the Bible says. You remember what he called the people at Colossae in, in chapter 1, verse 2? Saints. You see, you're not just a sinner. Your identity point has been changed. You're something so much more than that. You are a holy one. In fact, we're getting ready to do baptism here in a little bit, and the whole point of baptism is I'm going to identify with Jesus. You're not just a saint anymore. You're a Christian. You're a little Christ. You're a Christ follower. There's your identification point. You know, you're not just a sinner. You know, saved by grace. We, we kind of leave that as an afterthought. At least if you're going to say that lie, say, well, I'm just a sinner. Saved by grace! Right? But that's not his. It's, I'm just a sinner. If your mentality is that you're just a sinner, then you're going to find it completely ordinary for you to sin. But it's a lie. Because you're not just a sinner. Let me tell you, you were something much worse. You were a rebel. You were an enemy of God. You were an alienated person from God. You were hostile towards God. You were all of that. But hear me. God found you in your sinfulness, and He restored you. He forgave you. He redeemed you. He bought you back. He forgave you and cleansed you, and He's made you holy in Christ. You are a saint. He's saying to you, you're now a holy one of God. You're a saint. You know what's amazing about all of these letters? Especially, I was reading 1 Corinthians yesterday. And, uh, one of these letters Paul wrote, and he said, Hey, saints at, Cor uh, at, at, at Corinth, at this little town, and these people were acting so unsaintly. Let me tell you some of the things that they were doing. They were committing adultery. They were sleeping with their father's wife. Ooh. There's a word for that. That's just nasty. All right? But what does Paul call these people? Saints. And they're acting so unsaintly. But he calls them saints. He'd take to the saints, and then they would talk, he would talk about how terrible they're sinful, how they're doing all this bad stuff. And he says, stop sinning. But here's the thing. You've got to know this. Before you can defeat any lie, you've got to know the truth. And here's the truth. You're not just a sinner. 
You're a holy one. You're a saint. Truth sets us free. Truth reprograms our mind. Truth transforms us. And if you accept this life from the enemy, you're going to go, you know what, I'm just, I'm just a sinner, so I'm going to go out and sin. Look at what uh, Colossians 1, 12 through 14 says. We're going to talk a little bit about this next week. And I've got to be careful because I may launch into that sermon because, oh, I'm so stoked. He, talking about Jesus, has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he, again, he's talking about Jesus, has rescued us from the kingdom of God, from, of darkness, has transformed us into the kingdom of his dear son, who's purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. That rocks. Let me tell you the reason why. Let's look at that. Let's look at what you do for your salvation, and let's look at what Jesus does. You want to do this? We're going to look at those three, those two, three verses again, 12, 13, and 14. It says, the first one is this in verse 12. He has enabled you. Who's the he? G. G. Jesus has. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Now, where are we in this verse? <laughs> We're the word, ones being enabled. That's a dirty word, isn't it? Enabled. I mean, if I would say, I'm enabling you, that's not a very attractive word, is it? But that's where we're at. He enabled. He has enabled you. Now, what, where is Jesus in this? He's the one doing the enabling. He's the one that's giving us the inheritance. He's the one that brings us into his people. He's the light. All right, let's look at that word inheritance. That's just so cool. Okay, how many of y'all have received your inheritance? Right, a few. I never have because um, I'm still so young, I guess. Anyway, but in order to receive inheritance, what do you have to do? Well, this has to happen. Two things. One, somebody has to die. All right? You can't get inheritance unless somebody kicks the bucket, right? So somebody has to die, and the second way you get inheritance is the person who died, they have to have a relationship with you. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying in this. He says, you know what? I'll take care of the hard part. I'll die. Okay? I, want, I so want a relationship with you because I want to give you an inheritance that's out of this world. I want, I want us, I want us to be, become friends. I want to be your savior. I want to become your Lord. So, that's that's verse twelve. Let's look at verse thirteen. Let's see what Jesus does in our salvation. Let's see what we do. All right. For he, who's the he? Yes, for Jesus. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His dear Son. Now, where are we? We're the ones needing rescuing. All right, we're going, help me! All right? We're the one drowning. That, that's what you contribute to this wonderful salvation relationship. All right? He is rescuing. We are drowning. He is the one wanting to bring us into the light. We're the ones living in darkness. We're, we're needing to be saved. I like those four words that we see this. He rescued he transferred. Look at the next uh, verse. He purchased and he forgave. That's salvation in four words. Rescued. That happens before we know Jesus Christ. I mean, we're still sinners. We're still, our identity point is sinners. He transferred. It means he's saying, he picks us up and he puts us over here. He transfers us. Have you ever transferred money? When you transfer money from one account to the other, it doesn't stay in that account. It has a new identity point. All right? Um, he, he says he purchased and he forgave. 
We talked about purchase and forgiving because to forgive means to, to, to say you don't owe me anymore. Remember we talked about that? I like this. People that think they're just sinners love this next verse I want to talk about. And it's Romans 3.23. In fact, some of you know it. Don't even put it on the screen yet. How many of you all know Romans 3.23? All right, let's say it together, shall we? All right, ready? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All right, put it up there. All right, now, great verse. You could go into most churches today, you could preach that verse, and they'd go, preach it. Amen. All right? And they would get so excited, they'd pat you on the back and say, you preached the word of God today. All right? And you could leave, and everybody would go out and sin because, hey, we're just a bunch of sinners, right? We've all sinned, and we've fallen short of the glory of God. That's not the end of the story. Some of you, notice the, the punctuation after God. What is that? What does a comma mean? There's more coming. See, some of you, this is how you see Romans 3.23. Period. Because you're just a sinner, right? All sin. I I bet if I asked anyone, most of us could quote Romans 3.23. If I had a $100 bill in my pocket, I'd give it to you if you could quote Romans 3.24. I'm pretty sure my money would be saved. The reason why is because we have fuzzy thinking. We have blurry theology. Look at what it says. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That is true. We are all sinners. But it doesn't end there. But look at this next part. And. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. I love that. That we are justified. Yes, we're sinners, but that's not our point of identity because we have been justified freely by His grace through the redemption. He's purchased us back that came through Jesus Christ. All of us sinned, yes, but we've been justified. We are justified. Look at Colossians 2.13. It's kind of the same thought on this. It says this. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature. Was not yet cut away. Now let's talk about that. And I could just spend years on this verse. You were, it says you were. Is that past, present, or future? Past. You were dead. Now why were you dead? Because you still had that sinful nature. You were still just a sinner. All right? Now, but it says then. I like that. That's really cool. Okay, you were this, but now something has changed. Then God made you alive with Christ, and he forgave some of your sins. No. He forgave all of your sins. He forgave them all, past, present, and future. If you're a believer in Christ and you've put your faith in the cross, then you're not just a sinner saved by grace. You're a saint. Now, here's the question. Can saints still sin? You betcha. I am an illustration of that, all right? And so are you. But by being a saint that sins doesn't make you a sinner. It makes you a saint 
that's choosing to live a life less of what God wants you to live. Just because a sinner doesn't become a saint by doing good, and a saint doesn't become a sinner by doing something bad. It's not about what you do. It's about what Jesus has done for you. For you. God is trying to, to get your attention today. And he's saying, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. Because some of you have been sold a lie. And it's just this. You know what? That I can do it. If I try harder. And it's not about trying. It's about dying. It's not about you trying harder. It's about you saying, no, I can't do it. It's dying to yourself and saying, I'm going to ask Jesus who lives in me to do it for me. And then you follow his way of thinking. That's what we need today. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I know some of us, Lord, in here that we have We've been at so many conferences and so many camps and so many churches because we are just always trying to find the right mixture, the right potion, the right magic to make this thing happen. And, Lord, it hadn't happened yet. And that should give us a clue because it's not about going to a specific church. It's not about finding the right preacher. It's not about finding the right camp or the right whatever. It's about giving you our lives and that you do it through us. Lord, I pray that there are some people here who are just so discouraged. They've been in church all their life, and they just feel beat up day after day. Lord, I pray that you would encourage them. And, Lord, for some uh, people here, Lord, who have never been to church before, and they're like, I don't quite understand, but I know that I, I, I know me, and I know I can't do it by myself. Lord, I hope they hear the hope of this message, that you don't expect them to do it by themselves. Lord, that the... The mystery, the fullness of the gospel is this. That Jesus Christ died on a cross to save them from their sins. But Lord, He's not on that cross anymore. He was buried and He was raised. And the power that you raised Him from the dead is the same power, Lord, that we can live out our life victoriously. Lord, you're so awesome, Jesus Christ. We love you and it's in your name that we pray.